Good evening. I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. By the segregated 1890s, American popular entertainment hadn't changed much since the Civil War. Whites gathered for medicine shows, sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic and Swanee River, or read newspapers and the Bible. Mark Twain and the genteel William Dean Howells were the kings of literature. Men smiled wistfully on hearing Casey at the Bat. Audiences politely applauded Tchaikovsky, and theatergoers went to see Sherlock Holmes on stage. Couples danced to the beautiful blue Danube and swayed beneath paper lanterns to After the Ball. But on the other side of the tracks, in the netherworld of American society, something new and powerful was brewing in the black parts of town. On February 7, 1883, in a small house in a black neighborhood of segregated Baltimore, between the Bel Air Market and the Johns Hopkins Hospital, a little boy was born to a deeply devout woman and her hard-working husband, John Sumner Blake. The boy grew up small and frail, and she worried that he'd be taken by the evils of their working-class neighborhood, pool halls, saloons, and worst of all, brothels. She wanted him to be part of the church, and when he showed an interest in music, she bought him a pump organ. The boy, though, had a mind of his own. Now and then he got into a little trouble. Once, when a pal threw a rope over a power line and brought it down in a shower of sparks, a woman pointed mistakenly and shouted, That mouse-faced boy done it. And so he had a nickname, Mouse. Mouse did love music, but not his mother's kind. He liked what he heard at night, coming from the honky-tonks, and he loved the community's funerals. As a cortege marched to the cemetery, its band would play slowly and solemnly, but on the way back, it played those same pieces in a whole different way. The devil's music, his mother said, and forbade him to go. Mouse ran to the cemetery anyway just to hear the funeral band on the way back. His mother was right. It was the devil's music. Its heart and soul lived in the city's brothels, where since the Civil War, honky-tonk piano players like Jesse Pickett, Big Head Wilbur, Jack the Bear, and One-Leg Willie Joseph were creating something called ragtime. They composed their own tunes and competed to see who had the fastest hands. One night, Mouse stared through the window of a local brothel and watched the legendary Jesse Pickett's fingers dance across the keyboard. Pickett saw him and showed off a little. Mouse was hooked. By the time he was 15 and tired of school, he was good enough to get a job playing piano at Aggie Shelton's notorious $5 house. She guaranteed him an unheard of $3 a night if he didn't make that much in tips. To get there, he had to sneak out after his parents went to bed, pull on a rented pair of long pants on a nearby pool hall, and play until 2 or 3 in the morning. The girls and the customers loved him. Aggie Shelton never had to pay that guarantee. But of course it couldn't last. One night, one of his neighbors passing by Aggie's heard the distinctive wobble-wobble he'd developed with his left hand and told his mother, who was waiting for him when he came home. His father would whip him, she promised, and all that day he waited. When John Sumner came in that night, he asked Mouse if it was true. The boy said yes, it was. Father and son went upstairs. In his son's room, before taking off his belt, his father asked, What did you do with all the money? The boy pulled back the oilskin covering on the floor. Spread evenly, so they wouldn't make any piles, were fives, tens, and twenties. More cash than John Sumner had ever seen in his entire working life. Mind if I take one of these, he asked. They went downstairs, and John explained that their son was now embarked on a working life and should be allowed to continue. And so he did first at Aggie Shelton's, then at other brothels, then traveling shows, and finally New York, where he joined a growing group of musicians who were bringing the sound of the black underworld into the national lexicon. By then, nobody called John Sumner Blake's son Mouse anymore. 
James Hubert Blake, the dapper young man who was about to change American music forever, would henceforth be known as Yubi, Yubi Blake. 